Well, good morning again. I, uh, co college was, uh, as I, I think it is for many people, for me, it was a very formative time. Uh, and in particular, uh, sort of discovering this passion and gifting for leading worship and music and the, this kind of unique combination of when music and community and scripture and the spirit of God all kind of came together. Um, I, I started enjoying that more and wondering if that was something I, I might actually do with my life. And part of uh, what happened in that time, too, is that I, I, I don't know if I can say I discovered or I rediscovered or my eyes were opened to the beauty of hymns. I started to really enjoy these old, ancient uh, songs that the church has been singing for hundreds, sometimes even maybe thousands of years. And um, but I didn't really like the organ. And so then I, you know, I got to play around with resetting some of these uh, so that I could play them on guitar. Um, and I took a class uh, in college where we were talking about hymns. And, uh, and I remember, I don't know who this is, but I remember my professor talking about uh, there, this preeminent hymn scholar. I mean, this was a guy who everyone regarded as just the most knowledgeable person about kind of the history of hymnody in the church. Uh, to the point where he could say, oh yeah, how, how great thou art. That's uh, hymn number two in the Presbyterian Church hymnal, but it's actually 80 in the Methodist hymnal. And, you know, in the, the new Missouri Synod Lutheran hymnal, it got left out. I don't, I don't know if any of those things I just said are true, but that's the idea <laughs> behind his level of knowledge of these different hymns. But then, I, I will never forget this. My professor said, but he's, he's not a Christian. He's, he's not a person who... Um, who can sing any of these in any meaningful way. And that always struck me as such a strange thing and kind of as a bit of a warning, right? That you can, um, you can know the right answers. You can know the right stuff um, and yet still somehow have missed everything altogether. Um, and, and I feel like there's you know, one way you can describe that is sort of that distance between the head and the heart, which sometimes is the longest distance in the world. Um, and I think that the, what, what helps uh, make that gap shorter um, is this experience of grace, this understanding that these things that we're singing, that they're true about me and they're true about God and they're true about God's perspective on me, that he delights in me, not because of anything I've done, but simply because I've been forgiven in Christ, because he made me in his image. Um, because of grace, because of this undeserved favor. We're going to uh, read this morning from Luke 24, and I think that there's a little bit of this that we find in this passage where the disciples had some amount of knowledge of Scripture and of what the Messiah was supposed to be, and, and yet there was this encounter with grace that somehow made things connect for them and, and opened their eyes. So I'm going to read what's actually a long chunk. And Matt, you don't need to put any of the scripture up on the, on the screen. I'm just going to read it. Uh, most of chapter 24, if you want to turn in your Bibles uh, to Luke, uh, this is the last chapter. Um, so this will be a little bit more scripture than we normally cover on a Sunday. So just listen, be brought into the story. There's a lot of action happening here. And let's hear from God's word for us this morning. Now that same day, that same day being the day of the resurrection, Easter Sunday, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. 
And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more? It's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they'd seen visions of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. And then he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So then beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks, and he broke it. And he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and the others with them, assembled together, and they were saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. So then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why did doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, This is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, 
praising God. Lord, we are grateful for your word, for Luke's gospel to us, this good news. Lord, as we live our lives reminded of Easter just a week ago, we see a lot of ourselves in these disciples full of joy and amazement and fear and doubt. So meet us. Be gracious with us. Reveal yourself to us. Amen. So that was a a, a long chunk of scripture there, but I felt like we have to kind of get that whole picture there of, of what's happening uh, right after Jesus' resurrection. And I just, I see a lot of grace in this account. A lot of kindness, a lot of unmerited favor, right? That's what grace is, that Jesus is showing to these disciples. Um, and, and I think probably the most profound uh, part of it all is that he meets them where they're at, right? Uh, but he doesn't leave them there. And I think, you know, if you were to kind of graph, I don't know how you can graph joy necessarily, but if you could, uh, and you were to graph the disciples' journey on this, I mean, when we see the disciples, they are downcast, right? These two on the road to Emmaus, they are discouraged. They are leaving Jerusalem, right? Like there's just a sense of we've got to, I don't know what to do. Our hopes and dreams of who we thought Jesus was have been dashed. We just need to get out of town. So they're on their way just to get out of Jerusalem, um, and they're discouraged. They're really discouraged. And Jesus meets them there, but he doesn't leave them there. And I think that over the course of those, uh, those verses here at the end of Luke, then at the end, we see them filled with joy, worshiping continually. And I think that that, uh, that is a beautiful description to me of grace, that God meets us where we're at. He meets us in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our fears in the midst of our struggles, but he doesn't leave us there. He moves us ultimately towards joy, towards life. And I I love highlighting the parts of Scripture that strike me as funny, because I think there's a lot of humor in Scripture. And this whole, like, they think he's a ghost business, and the way that Jesus responds to that, first of all, by offering him himself and saying, touch me, feel me. And there's so, so much that we could mine there about the the reality that Jesus was not just a, a, an image of a resurrected body. He was a physically resurrected body. And that tells us something about our hope for the resurrection, that it's not just this sort of ethereal thing that happens, but that somehow that in, in the resurrection that we will experience, it will be a physical <coughs> resurrection. I take a lot of comfort in that. And then he eats the fish. Which is, to me, that's the funny part, I think. Because I imagine this thought going through some of their minds, like, well, if he's a ghost, he'll just take the fish and it'll, like, fall through to the floor, right? Like, that's the, if he's a ghost, that's what's going to happen with the fish. But no, he eats it, he takes it in, and he's clearly flesh and blood, risen from the dead. I don't, I, that's funny. Um, I, when I picture that scene, I picture it in Scooby-Doo uh, imagery. That, that's the, like the way that that's animated in my mind. Uh, I don't know why. Ghosts, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> no, 
So Jesus, part of the grace that we see in this passage is Jesus revealing himself to his disciples. And I think that's another, another thing that, um, another way that we encounter grace, this unmerited favor, is that we do not work ourselves to a knowledge of Jesus. We do not work ourselves to a deep understanding of who he is. Ultimately, this is something that God reveals to us. God is the one, the, the, the language of uh, their eyes were opened and he opened their minds for the disciples part of this is very passive. They're just there receiving this gift of grace that is Jesus saying, here I am, I'm with you, right? And this, this whole chapter here is about this new reality that the disciples are going to have to live in, which is Jesus is not physically present with them, but he is still with them. They, they are going to enter into this new reality of, of this, this church. They're going to become this early church, right? Uh, and they've been three years constantly with Jesus, and he's not going to be with them. And yet, he promises uh, in the end of Matthew, right, that he is with us even to the end of the age. And so he's starting to ease the disciples into this reality, revealing who he is, but revealing that it's going to be a little different than it was. And that's a... I think a challenge still for us today, this reality of remembering that Jesus is with us always, though we are so often blind to that reality. And we need, just like the disciples need, we need to have our eyes opened. And we study, right? We, we, we spend time in the Word, we, we, we pray, we, we, we participate in seeking God, but ultimately, ultimately, what we're dependent on is grace, on him revealing himself to us. There's something about uh, the way that the disciples had, uh, these two disciples who were walking to Emmaus had clearly had an idea of what redemption of Israel was going to look like, and and it didn't look like what they'd experienced with Jesus. They were confused, they were discouraged. And then Jesus goes back and walks with them through the scriptures, and it's ultimately at the end of all of that that they see him with them, present with them. And I think that there's something uh, instructive to us about how it is that we read the Bible. Um, because I, I definitely, uh, when I was taught uh, in my younger years, and maybe this was just the, what I picked up, maybe it wasn't explicitly taught, but I very much approach the Bible as this is, this is where I go to get the right answers. Right? This, is where, this is where I find the right answers, um, primarily in order to prove other people wrong. That was kind of my my approach to, to scripture. And I think, I hope, as I've grown uh, a little bit since then, um, that the way we approach the scriptures is to find the author of them in there. We find Christ present to us as we read and as we study. That is what I see happening here in this account in Luke 24, that, that Jesus goes back and he, he, he talks them through, I mean, he teaches them, uh, starting with Moses and the prophets, but ultimately the end result of that is that he reveals himself to them. And that that is our primary aim as we come to the scriptures. Uh, certainly we learn practical wisdom for how to live there. Uh, certainly we, we learn the story, the history of God's work with his people. But primarily we come to encounter the risen Lord, present to us. Finally, uh, at the end here, I see yet another example of grace. 
which is that Jesus, um, Jesus gets ready to send them out on a mission, right? He says, you are witnesses of all these things. But wait until you are clothed with the power from on high, right? Even the disciples work of growing into the early church, of bearing witness to who Jesus is and what he's done, even that is not something that they're just to do in their own strength. That is something that the power of God through the Holy Spirit does in and through them. Their their job uh, is simply to receive that power, to wait and to receive it. That's grace. We had a... um, we had a town hall meeting just a couple of weeks ago to talk about what might God be calling us to in terms of a kind of a concerted effort in loving our neighbors uh, after the Green Bean, right? The Green Bean, this beautiful coffee shop that has served and loved this neighborhood for 14 years, uh, no longer open. What is God calling us to next, right? His calling hasn't changed for us. The mission of uh, the, the work that he's put in front of us to love our neighbors as ourselves, uh, to see them flourish. That hasn't changed. Um, but what are the different, what, what are some forms that that might take? And it was a really, I was so grateful for the way that you all participated in that and all the ideas that started to come up on this, on this board of different needs that are present in our neighborhood, different needs that are present in our city. Um, but I have to confess, I started to feel my anxiety rise. Right? I don't know if that may, this may have just been me, um, but I started to feel overwhelmed by the need, <laughs> right? I mean, and so many of you are even, even in your vocations engaged with very, very needy populations. And, and I think the, the sum total of, of all of the ideas that were put on this board is that every population is needy. <laughs> there's, like, there's so much need out there for, uh, that we could engage with. And I started to feel anxious uh, and overwhelmed. And I had to stop. Right? I, had to, I had to pause and remind myself that if God is calling us to something, uh, he's going to equip us to do this. And that sounds cliche, but man, I believe that's true. And I think we see that in this passage, that he gives the disciples a massive task to be his witnesses in the world. And then he says, wait. Wait and, until you receive the power from on high, this Holy Spirit. Remember, Luke wrote Luke and Acts as kind of a two-part volume. And so right after this, um, in this, these letters to Theophilus, we get to the beginning of Acts, and it's all about the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed on the early church, through the early church on this world. And so I, I want us, as we, we're going to continue to have these conversations. We're going to continue to ask this question of what is God calling us to? And, and that's something, that's both an individual question that each one of us is asking. What, what, how is God calling me to love my neighbor, that they would flourish, that they would have this life abundant that Jesus talks about? But also corporately, uh, what, you know, together as the church, what is God calling us to? We're going to keep asking that question. We're going to have more conversations around that. But I want us to keep at the center of that conversation the reality and the truth that all of this comes out of an intimate relationship with Christ and, and, and the power that we have to love people that, that is not our power. It's not something that we can work up and, and maintain. It's got to be something that God gives us energy for and, and, and calls us to. So I want us to respond um, in grace, <laughs> with the grace that we've received. That's, that's, that's my hope for uh, our discernment and kind of what's next for our church. 
that grace remains at the heart of it. Does that make sense? I think it's really easy to pursue all of meeting these needs in our own energy, and that is just a recipe for burnout. (laughs) That's a recipe for a bunch of exhausted people. Um, And I think we're already exhausted enough. I think as we we consider the reality of grace here in this this account of Jesus uh, meeting the disciples after the resurrection, the disciples' role in this is simply to receive to be people who live with open hands, to receive God's favor, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his love that he pours out on us, that we don't deserve it. And I think that that is the call for us this morning, to be people who live with open hands, who are simply ready to receive. And I think that when God sees people who are ready to receive, he is free with his gifts. He's always giving, constantly giving, if we would simply have this posture of receiving with gratitude. Uh, One of my favorite grace passages uh, is from Matthew 11, and it's Eugene Peterson's translation of this verse from Matthew 11. And I want to read this uh, as we prepare to come and experience grace at the table. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely And lightly. Man, isn't that good news? We're going to come and celebrate communion here. And as we do, um, there's something powerful in this passage about the disciples' eyes being opened when Jesus breaks bread in their presence with them. Uh, and as I was reading some commentaries on this passage, uh, they highlighted how the language here in the Greek, the verbs of taking, thanking, breaking, and giving, uh, these are the same verbs and in the same order um, as we find in Luke 9, which is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. He takes bread, he breaks it, he gives thanks to God, and he gives it. Then at the Last Supper in the upper room, he takes bread and, and he breaks it. He thanks God, and then he gives it. And then here, in the Emmaus Road account, same thing. Takes bread, breaks it, thanks God, and gives it to them. And remember, Luke and Acts, we're, we're, this is the last sermon in our, we've this been on a long journey uh, since last fall, going through the book of Acts, and then now the book of Luke, that are really kind of two parts of one volume. At the very end of Acts, uh, Paul is shipwrecked on this island. He's, he's on his final missionary journey to Rome, where most accounts have it that that's where Paul ended his life. Uh, he, um, he's shipwrecked, and uh, everything is looking dire. <laughs> and Paul huddled around a fire with these Roman officers, these people who are, are guarding him, like he's imprisoned by them. Paul takes bread, and it's the same series of verbs. He takes bread, he breaks it, he gives thanks to God, and then he passes it out, he gives it. 
And there's this rhythm of this story of God's grace that is centered around the breaking of bread. And I think it's this, it's this rhythm of recognizing and experiencing this grace, this, this presence of Christ in our midst that we don't deserve, that we can't work up. Um, all we can do is simply receive this gift that's been given to us. So this morning, uh, as we come to the table, simply receive. That's all that you have to do. Receive. The good news that your sins are forgiven, the good news that God, through Christ, is building his life in you, and that you have a hope. Receive that this morning.